It's week 12, and the conference is under attack. Part of it internal, part of it external. But Larry Scott must do something about it. Do you think he'll do it? What's going on with all the recruiting rankings? Who's moving up? Who's moving down? And we're going to go over all the games. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. This podcast is for Pac-12 people. You guys make sure that you guys share the feed, tell a friend about the podcast, and always leave a comment, engage, send us an email to imad, I-M-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com. Ralph, the conference is under attack right now. There's an internal attack and there's an external attack. We'll start with the internal attack first. That is the Pac-12 referee. I mean, I, I can't get over what is going on. So this week we find out that there was a referee suspended and an entire crew was downgraded, whatever the hell that means. And the reason why is because in the Washington State versus Cal game, the uh, after a kickoff, Washington State returned the kickoff to the 50-yard line. And then there was a personal foul penalty assessed to a guy who wasn't even on the field, to a number of a player who wasn't even on the field And then it was given to the penalty was awarded in Cal's favor. So, and they were saying the penalty was way back, was, was way back. It was a uh, 15 yard penalty. And so Washington state started the ball on their own eight yard line, but where the ball was actually supposed to be spotted was Cal's 35 yard line. So this is a 57-yard difference. Washington State goes down, kicks a field goal. But do you think it would have been much easier to score a touchdown if you start on the other team's 35? So the referee was suspended. The crew was downgraded. And this is just literally, Ralph, one week after, one week after Larry Scott made the comments saying that, yeah, I know, I know. I sit down with David Coleman, the head of our officiating, and I can tell you there's a significant number of mistakes every week. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? I I don't even know what to make of this, Ralph. The Pac-12 is in a really weird place right now as far as their officiating. You, There's will and there's skill. Is it that the Pac-12 refs don't want to be better or is it that they can't be better? So they've tried the carrot. The carrot is you get better games if you do better. And that hasn't necessarily worked out. And so now they're trying to stick. And I'm very curious to see how officiating crews react to a suspension and a downgrading for something that could have probably been doled out 
for any number of severely missed calls across several Pac-12 games this year. This one was egregious, and it was really bad. Um, you know, la- last year, um, Washington State, you know, got screwed against USC. A couple of years before that, Washington State got a fifth <laughs> down, fifth down. You know, to quote <laughs> Dave Chappelle, one, two, three, four, fifth. And, uh, yeah, and uh, and use that to score what ended up really being a back-breaking touchdown against Arizona State. Um, that's not the only weird thing that's going on in officiating right now. You know, there's a Pac-12 replay official named Jim Fogeltance. I don't know if you knew this, George, but let me paint you a picture. I just want to see how you'd feel about it. I want, I want your gut reaction to this. What if there was a replay official? And you went to Oregon, right? So what if there was a replay official who was a donor to University of Washington's athletic program? And he was put in charge of ultimately making serious replay decisions for the University of Oregon. Would you feel uncomfortable? With someone who is an active donor to Washington's athletic program making decisions about University of Oregon? Okay, yes. People go to their schools. They're proud of their schools. And we have to assume that people have some integrity in these situations. But at the same time, if you are an active donor, I I, I think that there needs to be some distance between you and the university when you are when you are in a position to adjudicate matters because there's a big difference. I mean, because imagine if this dude was making a call that ended up, you know, you know, like a game, like a replay call. I think when, when Zach Ertz was playing, when Stanford was playing against Oregon, Zach Ertz, that that controversial touchdown to end the game when Andrew Luck was there. Like imagine if he were making that call. I'd be pissed the hell off cuz that 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 was sketchy. Okay. So what about last year's Arizona State Oregon game where Frank Darby caught that two-point conversion inbounds and it went to replay and it wasn't overturned. What if I told you that that replay official's name is Jim Fogeltance, that he works a bunch of Arizona State games? and that he has two degrees from the University of Arizona and is a donor to their athletic program. Ouch. Oh, oh, that looks really bad. That looks really bad, bro. I mean. So I'm telling you this right now. While we have this other issue playing out in public with what happened in Cal versus Washington State, Ray Anderson and Arizona State President Michael Crow have been on Larry Scott. They've been, I mean, this is, this is out there. They, they've been calling him for the last two weeks to try to get Jim Fogeltance off of Arizona State games. He was the one that was responsible for making the decision at the end of the game that Christian Rector actually kept possession of the interception that ended the, uh, the, the USC victory over Arizona State. And he's set to be up in the booth for Arizona State, uh, Oregon in two weeks. So it's, it, th- there are issues hey, of keep them, keep them up there for two more weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I just so there's this there's this battle that's playing out in public right now, and I'm telling you, there's also another battle that's playing out in in, in private. That that you know, at least Arizona State, and I think that anybody can be sympathetic to that. That just as a fan, what if somebody who donated to your rival was responsible for making critical calls, um, for your team? Oh, that's so there's so, so there's that, this that. other thing that's playing out in private. That while Larry Scott is publicly posturing that Pac-12 officiating needs an adjustment, and he's out here publicly suspending one person in private, he's 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 turning around and telling Ray Anderson and Michael Crow, "Hey, tough titties, guys." And so, you know, I, I what it makes me wonder is how much of the punishment that's going to be going on for officials who blow calls is just to get some of the heat off of himself. How serious is Larry Scott about cleaning up some of the officiating in the Pac-12? Oh, my Lord, Ralph, this is – okay, so when you put it like you put it – see, here's the the thing. There's no controversy until there's a controversy. So if if he were not making weird calls or something – against Arizona State nobody would notice so it's one of those things that if you do your job properly with integrity and and objectively if you're if you are a person who can do that then yes you can be in that job but if not then you gotta go like if there's any hint of impropriety when it comes to replay officials referees I mean you have seen the NFL and soccer take people off of games because they have a Facebook picture from five years ago with a Saints hat on or with the Man United hat on. You got and, and it's just makes sense because you because the integrity of the game is probably one of the most important things like the actually probably the most important thing when it comes to sports. Fans need to feel like it's fair. And Larry Scott's not doing anything about it. Because think about this, John John Canzano wrote a cool article about it, and he talked about uh, we we both were at Pac-12 Media Day. That's actually how the Pac-12 Apostles, for those who don't know, how the Pac-12 Apostles podcast started. Me and Ralph were just talking, and all of a sudden it was it was a podcast. Um, so at the media day, Commissioner Scott talked. Uh, he was at the stage at the ballroom. Um, and he said that Woody Dixon would no longer act as the Pac-12 supervisor of football. He wasn't qualified, all of this. He's the guy who over who called from his house. <laughs> he called from his house and overruled the instant replay officials during the Washington State USC game with that with that hit <laughs> on uh Gardner Minshew. From his house. What in God's name? Come on, man. Um, so And it's not it's it's not new. It's not new. Check this out. I found an archived article from the LA Times dating back to 2002 saying that uh, <laughs> saying that at one point the conference's coordinator of football officiating was uh Let's see. 
was a USC graduate. And that was something that, that UCLA had a massive issue with at one time. And also, uh, Jim Fogeltance has been part of, uh, of officiating Pac-12 slash Pac-10 games for so long that before Utah was part of the Pac-12, back when they were with the Mountain West, Utah coach Ron McBride filed an official complaint that Jim Fogeltance was a big University of Arizona guy because he lived in Tucson and had two degrees from there. So none of these complaints are new. They've been going on for almost two decades, and it's not just Arizona State University complaining about it. I think that you you should probably make sure that everybody is free of any type of biases when they are officials. You're going to have to have people who graduated from you know Mountain West schools who are officiating Pac-12 games. Yep. And okay, so and then when Larry Scott said that Dixon was being removed from the equation and announced that David Coleman, the Pac-12 head of officiating, would answer to Scott himself, you know, closing the distance. Um, guess where Dixon was? He was in the back of the room, seated right next to David Coleman. So the guy you said <laughs> you were removing from the equation was sitting right back there. I mean, and like, it's so ridiculous that Larry Scott has been able to con not only the old presidents, but the new presidents. You're you're sitting here, oh yeah, 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 we're acknowledging the, the mistakes. That, stop, stop acknowledging and do something, dude. Like you are destroying the integrity of the game. You are affecting outcomes of games. This is bowl bursts. This is uh, conference championships. These things, these are people's jobs. People get fired over not winning enough games. And you're sitting here uh, affecting it. And then here is Larry Scott's biggest con job. Is that... um, He's been so. There's a lot of the Pac-12 uh, presidents and CEOs um, and chancellors that have been that have been um, had a lot of turnover the last few years. Here's his biggest con job: is that he's making five point three million dollars a year, which is more than the Big Ten and SEC commissioner combined, and they're the two most popular conferences. His contract is up in 2022. But what does he spend all his time talking about, Ralph? Officiating. No, 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 no. What is Larry <laughs> Scott's biggest thing he always talks about? Oh, the future. The future and the 2024 media rights deal when it's up in 2024. Since his contract is up in 2022, isn't that real convenient timing? Hey, hey guys, I really got a plan. I really got a plan. And I think it's probably the smartest thing that he's done. <laughs> Dude, t- tomorrow I'm talking uh, on a podcast. I'm talking about uh, I'm interviewing Corey De- DeBrua, who is uh, Google's head of communication, global communication. Well, sorry, the vice president of global communication. So he is like, like, Super high up, I mean, like top twenty in uh, at Google, top twenty twenty five at Google, a near trillion dollar company. He's a huge Oregon guy, 
and he's in charge of global communication pr all of these things and i'm like huh i wonder i'm going to ask him specifically about the pac 12s since he does messaging for a near trillion dollar company i'm wondering how this works out how i'm gonna ask him specifically about pac 12 messaging and the integrity and all of that stuff because this is ridiculous dude um okay so so that's the internal but okay is there do you believe larry scott will do anything about this ralph i mean i guess he's already started um it's just a matter of how referees are gonna gonna react you know what what was better for them the reward of being able to get better games if you grade out better or the fear of getting suspended or downgraded if you seriously screw up. But not very many calls are that black and white, George. Like, for for the most part, it, it's not something that you can get outright punished for because you called a penalty on somebody who isn't even on the field, which changes possession by 50-something yards. Um, usually the mistakes aren't that ob- – well – they're that obvious, but they're not that yeah. black and white as to what should be done about it. So um, I, I would say that he's made it look like he's trying because I think that this is the biggest threat to not his legacy, but his job status. If officiating keeps eroding the institution and people stop having fun and people continue to not go to games, there's not really a reason to keep him around because that's going to be something that gets brought to the negotiating table when anybody says that they want to give them money to broadcast these games, they're going to be like, hey, Larry, what are you doing about the officiating? Because we're going to broadcast these games. We want to make sure that people at least watch them on TV. And if and, and if it's just going to be, you know, uh, something that's not even fun because it continually gets screwed up. Like if people aren't going to stream it or whatever in future town, <laughs> wherever these games are being broadcast, then that's the biggest problem. You know, I think so. I think that the people who bring the money to the table are the ones that he really has to answer to. And they're going to have questions about the officiating as well. It's bad, dude. It's bad. And maybe you should train them better. Maybe you should maybe make full time employees because there's money to do that. Um, like if you do that, you will improve the quality. And if they don't step up, then you fire them. I, I mean, it's it's super, super bad. It's really, really bad. Um, so there's Pac-12 reps. Oh, and the external threat. The external threat is coming squarely from Paul Feinbaum. And the idea that you have so many analysts, college football analysts, talking about, oh, how the Pac-12 is dead, all of these things. But here is what Paul Feinbaum said yesterday on the top 25 on the top twenty-five committee rankings show and then said it again this morning on Get Up because Rob Mullins, Oregon Athletic, Depart- uh, Oregon Athletic Director, is in the, is the chair of the committee. And he keeps, and Paul Feinbaum keeps saying, that the Pac-12 deserves no credit, and Rob Mullins basically is a fraud if Oregon makes it into the playoffs. 
And he keeps saying how if it comes down to Oregon and Alabama, that they'll have a conflict and that, um, yeah, ba- basically questioning Rob Mullen's integrity. And I just thought that this was very, very interesting because, because it, like, this is not the only time that somebody has been a chair like you, like you had or uh, Oklahoma's athletic director, I believe who was on the committee last year when Oklahoma got in as a one loss team, but they're set up to recuse themselves when their teams are being talked about. So that means that the conf that the other committee members chose this person. You've had Barry Alvarez on the committee. Who's now, um, I mean, we yeah, who is, uh, Wisconsin's athletic director. This is total garbage. This is propaganda by by ESPN. This is horrible. This is an attack on the conference. And Larry Scott, he's probably going to put out a statement because people are making enough noise about this. Oh, you know, Paul Feinbaum's comments were very unfortunate. The you know we do not while we do not agree with them we respect people's opinions and the committee has a very tough job and Oregon and Alabama are both very fine football teams that's probably what he'll say if he says anything and we're just happy to be mentioned with with the great teams in the world. Well, Paul Feinbaum's a dork. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Like, he, he's got an enormous platform. He's got an enormous stage. He talks SEC football. He's done it longer than anybody, but there's a million people who do it better than him. He's just got a large platform. And when he's not talking football specifics, he has a, a very large tendency to stick his size four foot into his mouth. So there's not there's not really, you know, anything that you can do about the fact that he's going to continue to say dumb stuff. The committee is built so that anybody who is involved in any voting process that might involve their team has to recuse themselves. I know this because a colleague of mine has been named to that committee. One of the best writers that we ever had down here in Arizona, her name is Paula Boyvin. She is a professor at Arizona State, and on all things Arizona State, she can't even be in the room. Right? So they've got a system in which they are addressing these things. And so for Paul Feinbaum to say that, like, it's corrupt in some way, man, shut up. They've taken two SEC teams multiple times. Like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Stop crying, you pocket mouse balding weirdo. (laughs) Dude, it is a shame. I mean, it is a shame that nobody stands up for the conference. Like, who is going to stand up and be a voice? I guess it's got to be me. I guess it's got to be me. It's got to be you, Ralph. It's got to be the people listening to the podcast. Because at some point in time, People keep just bullying you. And and this is indicative of not just the college football playoff. It's indicative of TV time slots. Because when the new contract is up, you've kept accepting all that. You accepted all these Thursday night games, Friday night games, bad time slots. What do you think they're going to offer you in 2024? What do you think that 
You know, I mean, if you try to go to Hulu, oh, yeah. if you try to go to Apple <laughs> TV Plus, what do you think they're going to give you? Hey, uh, D- Days of Our Lives just stopped production, so maybe we can get some Pac-12 games on at noon on a weekday Dude. since they won't have to battle with uh, with Days of Our Lives anymore. Yeah, yeah, and then they'll be t- telling us, Hey, 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 guys! Hey, we're gonna put put some Tuesday night games on to compete with the Mac because we'll be the only thing on. We'll be the biggest game in town. I t- <laughs> I actually tweeted that the other day because of this whole Chase Young thing of like, you know, suspending a guy for for you know taking a loan that he then paid off right away. And I said, you know, the NCAA they're just trying to protect these student athletes because they know that the moment that you take money from somebody. Uh, it won't just be for nothing. They're going to start asking you to schedule games oh, on that Thursday nights. That was a great. <laughs> so that, that was yeah. a. The NCAA, they are they are absolutely experts in this quid pro quo stuff and uh, and doing stuff that's not great for the student athlete. And so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that you're not going to have a ton of people come out and defend um, the Pac-12 because you know everybody's motivated by money, and if there's no money in the defense of the uh, of the Pac-12 or in having a backbone here or in starting a war between the conferences, you're not going to see anybody step up and do it. It'd be nice for Larry Scott to step out there and say like, Hey, wait a minute, Paul Feinbaum. Like you don't, you don't, you don't dictate any of this. And if we get somebody in, it's going to be because we play nine conference games. uh, And because we, you know, we, we have a decent out of conference schedule and we're not playing and losing to Appalachian state in week 11, like sec teams are like, it would be nice if, if, if you had a little bit of bite there, but everybody's kind of laissez faire and, and say like, Oh, it'll work out the way it works out. And, um, until it doesn't. Right. And then you have all the complaining at the end of the year, uh, when, when you're in a new year six bowl, instead of the, uh, instead of the college football playoffs sitting at, yeah. uh, at, at, at 12 and one, bro. Somebody has to defend the conference. Somebody has to, dude. It's, it's bad. Um, in, in in other news, Ralphie Five is gone. Ralphie, Ralphie, he is gone. Ralph, no, I'm joking. I I, I know that Ralphie is a girl, but will they replace Ralphie <laughs> with, a, with with a boy? And and Ralphie is going to go live off. In, on a farm in in a pasture they, they they said with a with a mate right with a companion yeah they got ralphie a man and they got they got a, they got ralphie a field to graze in they're really making it sound like the farm that my dog supposedly went to <laughs> uh, who told you that your I dog like- went to the farm my dad my dad so we had a uh we had an american eskimo and it was like it would bite people we had it till it was probably like six years old, and um, and he wasn't neutered. And then one day he was gone, um, and I asked my parents. I was like, you know what? What happened? That Murphy was the dog's name, and they said that a breeder from Colorado came down and got him because he wasn't neutered. So he's actually going to go like live a live a really really good life in an area where he's not going to bite neighborhood kids anymore. And then like, and then I grow up and I hear all these stories of people telling their kids that their dog went off to a farm. And to this day, I cannot get my parents to admit that like, that, that, that dog is anywhere but a farm in Colorado. It's been, <laughs> it's been well, 20 he's years. Dead. He's dead and, anyway. And it, 
Yeah, but they they haven't broken ranks on the story, so I'm still holding out hope that that uh, my my skittish American Eskimo that would bite the neighborhood kids uh, actually got to spend the rest of his life uh, ha- ha- having sex <laughs> in the mountains. Bro, don't don't <laughs> believe it. Um, uh, Florida and ASU have scheduled uh, home and homes in 2028. They're playing in Tempe, and 2031 they are playing in Florida. I love this. I love home and home matchups. ASU just had one with Michigan State. Turned out to be a little more of a dud when it was in Tucson, but but it was good this last year. Jaden Daniels played really well. And what did, what did they win that game like ten six or something like ten seven? Um, and uh, yeah, so like like that that's great news um around the conference though chase garber's cal quarterback has been cleared he may start this weekend um against usc which would be a big boost for actually mm, I, I i don't know we'll we'll uh, talk about that when we go about games and tyler helinski will be honored at senior night at washington state he is the brother of the Helensky brother who plays at South Carolina now. And if you know the story, uh, what, a year and a half ago? Uh, yeah, about a year and a half ago, he committed suicide when he was going to be the starting quarterback at Washington State. And it was, you know, sad and tragic. And yeah, it's it's just a horrendous story. Um, but they're going to be honoring him at senior night. Um, and we wanted to go over recruiting uh, now. We, we we wanted to go over some recruiting news because there have been some big changes in the Pac-12. So now I believe Washington overtook Oregon for the top recruiting spot in the Pac-12. They have one five-star, which is uh, Savelle Smalls, I believe, um, and a bunch of four stars and a bunch of three stars and then Oregon is in second place um Stanford third Arizona State four UCLA is bumped all the way up to five Colorado six Cal seven Washington State eight Oregon State nine wait 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 uh Arizona 10 uh uh I Ralph, I'm I must have missed you at USC in there, right? I got all the way to ten. This has to be a typo, right? USC at eleven. USC at eleven. No. Yeah. Not only that, they just uh, they just they just finished beating Arizona State, and right after the game, Jack Yeri. A six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound tight end who saw the writing on the wall from them running the the air raid decides to decommit and he might turn around. It's very possible that he might give his commitment. I mean it's a it's a small chance, but it's a chance that he might give his commitment to the team that USC just beat. Because ASU doesn't really have any tight ends. And so um, things are not looking great for USC right now, but how about the last couple of weeks? And I can't believe I'm saying this, but how about the last couple of weeks for UCLA and Colorado? They're they're tearing it up on the recruiting trail. I mean, we've got uh, um, we got Colorado got a four star running back on the 11th 
in Ashad Clayton out of New Orleans, Louisiana. This is a kid who's six feet tall, 190 pounds. Uh, he had offers from half CC. He's ranked by rivals as the number 97 recruit in the entire country and number nine running back. We're looking at his other offers. He commits to Colorado over Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Georgia, LSU. Like, what is what has Colorado got going on? He also had offers from Nebraska and Texas, and he chooses to go play Dude, uh, in in Boulder. That, that's a huge pickup. Same thing with with Brendan Rice, the kid who transferred from Alabama. Uh, Mel Tucker's pulling pulling in an uh and a SMU. They must they must got some name image likeness. They got some money flowing through Boulder, buddy. No, I'm joking. Like I'm not accusing <laughs> him of cheating. I'm just saying, you know, he's 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 got the juice. I mean, he's he's whatever the Colorado coaches are selling, whatever Mel Tucker is selling, I need to I need to talk to one of these re- recruits. If you have a chance to talk to one of the Colorado commits, Figure out what what Mel Tucker's selling, because because that's what I want to know what his recruiting yeah. pitch is. Maybe right, right now, maybe I'll grab Brendan it, Brendan Rice this week. We'll have him on the podcast because I I know Brendan pretty well. Okay, because it's got to be early playing time, um, you know, like opportunity. That's got to be what he's selling. Um, but let's talk about UCLA. Yeah. This is wild because we all know about Chip Kelly's recruiting process, right? Like it goes. It goes deep, like they're they're you know they're drawing blood and doing the whole twenty three and me thing before they before they'll <laughs> take your commitment. Um, and just in the last two weeks, so since October thirtieth, they've landed six players, and it almost looks like a Stanford class in that you got a player from Lehigh, Utah, in Joe Halani Ross, a defensive end. Um, you've got two players out of Bellflower, California, including four-star wide receiver Logan Loya. And then you've got a Norcross, Georgia linebacker in Cho Bryant Struther and uh, another Georgia commit in Miles Jackson. And then they got somebody out of Oakdale, Connecticut, uh, Kenny Mestador, six foot two, 230-pound defensive end. So all of a the sudden – they land three defensive ends, a linebacker, an athlete, and a wide receiver in the last two weeks, and it's all coming on the heels of their success. So you might look at this and say, oh, UCLA is winning, and so the recruits are coming along. But if you know anything about UCLA recruiting, you know that these guys have probably been waiting to commit three or four weeks. Uh, they're just waiting to get that thumbs up from Chip Kelly. That's crazy because it his recruit – his approach to recruiting is completely different than everybody else's everybody wants to be the kids best friend they want them to they want them to commit they want them to feel good chip is chip chip is like he's sitting in the room like the like the godfather come here are you committed (laughs) are you Uh, and you know what's you know what's crazy is uh, like the so colorado and ucla had huge weeks right but the biggest commitment belongs to another school that that we wouldn't necessarily consider, you know, a top flight Pac-12 football school, Oregon State. Oregon State lands a uh, a transfer from the number six defensive end in the 2019 class in Charles Moore. Rivals had him as the number 79 player in the country. He 
he didn't sign until late at Auburn, and he only lasted a couple of months on campus, and then all of a sudden he's headed out there to Corvallis, and Corvallis also hosted, uh, I believe, uh, Jack Sears and a couple of other players, and they're really trying to corner the market on the whole transfer portal thing. And uh, I, what is it that Oregon State's got going on that all of these big-time recruits are, are looking to start fresh out there? You know, I know that Mike Riley played a big factor in some of those, um, but, I mean, what what is it right now? Yep, yep. And um, I, I think that they see early playing time. They see that they're selling. You can compete with the, with the big boys. You can knock them off. We can build something special here. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. I mean, even like you have said, Jack Jack Sears visited there from USC. Um, Charles Moore. This is whatever J- Jason Smith and Mel Tucker are doing is absolutely working at this point in time. Like they're not just going after the fringe kids who, you know, would go to the Mountain West school but are happier at a Pac-12 because they got a bit bigger offer. No, these are kids who have options. Um, now we can get to the games this week. So uh, two only two Pac-12 teams are not in action this week. So we can start with the Washington Car- – I'm the Washington Cardinal. The Stanford Cardinal go to <laughs> – uh, they go to the Palouse. They're going to go play Washington State. And it's it's crazy to me that you have Mike Leach. That you have Mike Leach. Everybody, including us, I remember that you mentioned it on the last podcast. Everybody keeps mentioning him with all these big-time jobs. And, and they love the quirky stuff that he does at his press conferences. But not that long ago, he called his team fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. And now he's basically saying that his leaders are frauds. And I'm and I and I think I, I was always taught that teams are a reflection of the head coach. So if his team is all these bad things, what is the head coach? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I say so I don't. I can't. I'm not going to go as far as calling Mike Leach a fraud because we know what Washington State was before he got there, and we've seen Texas Tech struggle since he left. It's obvious that that he knows the secret sauce, um, and I I just don't think that he he's not really somebody who is built to handle losing with with grace. He's not one of those people that that's a trust the process type guy. If if you're failing to trust the process, he doesn't really feel like it's 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 his need to convince you. It's just your fault for not doing the right things because the right things are so obvious. And so, um, does this work as a motivational tactic? We're we're gonna find out. Um, I think it helps that they've got Stanford this week. And again, Stanford's gonna win because I'm gonna pick against them. Stanford graduates has have been making me feel dumb my entire life. Stanford football has been the thing that has made me feel dumb in the year 2019. Because without Stanford football, I feel like every single week I'm rolling in the dough. Like if I was betting on these games, I'd be getting paid every week if it wasn't for Stanford. There's no way that I I, I maybe gotten I maybe called one of their games correctly twice 
this year. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with them. And I'm just I'm I'm sick of even trying to depend on them, and I expect Washington State to absolutely. Yeah, I them. I totally agree with you. Oh oh, and um, uh, the uh, corner is out. Uh, number eleven. Um, for Stanford, uh, the really good one. Why is why why is my name blanking? Ah uh, oh oh Lord. So anyways, uh. Oh, the kid that had multiple interceptions uh, against. Yeah, he's. One. I know who you're talking about. Hold on one second. Uh, <laughs> that is the worst up. thing in the whole world when you know somebody's name. Like, you know their name. You've seen it. You've said it 50 times. N- no less. And then you're like, yeah. Huh, huh, what the hell's going on? A Paulson Adebo. Paulson Adebo. Jeez Louise. So, yeah. um, and when you look at. The defense. Stanford's defense is ranked in terms of scoring defense, sixth in the conference. They're giving up 26 points a game. And Adebo is one of the best DBs, not only in the conference, but in the country. And yeah, this is a huge loss for them, especially going against the air raid. And on the last podcast, we talked about how to stop the air raid offense from from Pac-12 coaches. How to stop the air raid how to stop the air raid and it works. So, so Stanford is going to be potentially in trouble, but the biggest concern is their offense. They're only scoring 24 points a game. There is a problem when you're scoring 24 points a game and you're giving up 26 points a game and Stanford's um, rushing offense is slowly climbing. They're ninth in the conference, 131 yards a game, ninth in the conference, Ralph. And then their passing offense is fifth in the conference at almost 250 yards a game, but it's not turning into points. And intellectual brutality that we used to know, it is broken. I do not believe that it that Stanford is, you know, a couple healthy bodies away from being a 10-win team. This There's nothing about this team that looks like that they are going to threaten for the Pac-12 championship next year at all Stanford Stanford has to go two and one in their next three games to make a bowl and those opponents include playing at Washington State and then home against Cal and Notre Dame will they will they even get to five wins oh it's so many people that have Stanford in their bowl projections and I'm like uh, are you sure about that (laughs) are you sure but but the way the conference has been been going, you know that they will win. You know that they will win and get bowl eligible. But then Washington State, they they need this win too to get bowl eligible. I am taking the Cougars in this game. I have kind of turned my stance on Mike Leach. I think he's a great football coach, but he seems like kind of a jerk. Like so, he he is really strong. He losing Mike Leach is is a whole different. Mike Leach, in that he is exactly the same, only, only <laughs> it's, he's, he's takes some of his time that he's talking about like what the best thing to do uh, on a hayride is, and he dedicates some of that time to making fun of his own players. <laughs> Other than that, everything's pretty much the same. Like if if Washington State came out next year with this same. Uh, exact makeup for the most part, you know, just a new quarterback 
and they went 10 and two, I would not be shocked at all. Oh yeah. I I, I would agree with that. But another note, so all the Pac-12 games, there's a 1.30 start, a 4.30 start, 5 o'clock start, 7.30, and 8 o'clock start. I mean, it, I mean, put put some games on dur- during the time people will freaking watch them, dude. At least at least Utah is getting a nationally televised game for, for a change. Um, so, yeah, Arizona State traveling to Oregon State. Uh, Jaden Daniels is back, and with the results that have been happening, I have no idea how to pick this game. I, I mean, I, f- I feel like this is a pick em. I like the fact that Jaden Daniels is back for Arizona State, but Arizona State has done nothing to to give me, like, hope and confidence because in the first quarter of the UC- USC game last week, they gave up 28 points, 28 points. <clears throat> And then they battened down the hatches a little bit. And then Oregon State, whose offense had been playing really well against everybody except for Utah, got absolutely blanked against Washington. And Washington has started a bunch of freshmen. People have been able to score on Washington, except Oregon State could barely move the ball. The the only reason why they even scored is because off a pick six. I think this game is first to 35. Um which is a little bit of a change of tune for me, uh, you know, with all the time that I spent <laughs> talking about Arizona State's defense. Right. When it comes down to it, man, if you can't get a pass rush, none of it matters. None of it. I Keaton Slovis could have been back there making Subway sandwiches, changing gloves between each ingredient, and still had time to throw in the first quarter. That was, I mean, yeah, Keaton Slovis threw for 297 yards in one quarter. But it, he had all of the time in the world to do it. And that's a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, the thing about Oregon State is they have everything. Every single thing that you need to be a thorn in Arizona State's side, they have it. Patience um, in the running game, multiple uh, effective running backs who can also catch the ball out of the backfield if you need them to, uh, and then a very accurate quarterback. And if the running game's working, then that sets up the pass for them. Now, if Arizona State can load the box the way that Washington did and shut down the running game and then just say like, hey, just for today only, guys, we're going to put you out on an island against against um, Oregon State's wide receivers. And they match up uh, Chase Lucas or a Jack Jones on Isaiah Hodgins and ho- hope and pray for the best then you might be able to repeat the performance that Washington put out there. You're not going to shut them out, but you you might be able to repeat that performance just as far as not allowing them to use the run to set up the pass. That's Arizona State's best hope in this game. Uh, defensively, uh, Oregon State's not good, and they're not going to all of a sudden start being good. But when you have Hamilcar Rashad, who is leading – the country in tackles for loss and leading the Pac-12 in sacks, and he's going to get to go up against the 17-year-old of his choice. Um, that's that's not going to be a whole lot of fun. And then you're going to run into another situation for the second week in a row where you're talking about an Arizona kid that Arizona State didn't offer, who is getting off against uh, <laughs> who's getting off against the Sun Devils. So you know that's the last thing in the world they want to see is Hamilcar Rashad get like three sacks. 
and then have the local media be like, why didn't ASU offer him? He went to the same high school as Nikhil Harry. Um, and yeah, so that's the last thing in the world that ASU wants. So hopefully they put a tight end on him to chip him or something like that. Uh, this doesn't feel good coming out of my mouth, but I am going to go with Arizona State in this game only because I think Washington laid out the blueprint for how you get this done. And um, if ASU can't, then it's a skill issue um, or potentially a coaching issue that they didn't follow suit and just stack the box and make make Jake Luton try to beat them. Um, but again, Arizona State doesn't like to play in Corvallis because they were uh, on the path to the college football playoff in 2014, and they went up there and just got thumped in 20-degree weather. So <laughs> that's... That's not something that ASU is really looking forward to is playing up there. So I think it'll be a close game, and I think that Arizona State squeaks it out, and I think having Jaden Daniels back will be a big part of that. I totally agree. Uh, I'm picking Arizona State in this game as well. They are in toward the bottom of the rankings in total offense. They're 11th in the conference in, in total offense, but I don't think that this is a – you know, necessarily a bad team because when you look at their opponent first downs allowed, they're fourth in the conference. Like they're doing a good job of getting people off the field. And they're the thing that Arizona State's not doing well is third down conversions. They are only um uh com- oh, well sorry, <laughs> uh getting first downs 41% of the time which puts them kind of, I guess, that puts you middle of the road in the conference. That puts them eighth, and they're allowing a ton of sacks, like two and a half a game. So, like, when you have a young quarterback, the whole goal is to keep them clean. And you just mentioned Hamilcar Rashid. If if you're going against the third worst team in the conference in sacks only Arizona and Cal are worse how does Arizona get sacked so so much FYI with an an athletic quarterback but whatever um (laughs) I don't want to talk about it exactly um yeah so so this is a team that and Arizona State though while they don't give up a ton of first downs they are 11th in the conference in getting first downs so they have to do a better job of not having three and outs, continuing to move the foot, football. If they can do that, they can beat. I'm going to go with you and pick them to beat Oregon State. Uh, UCLA, the UCLA Bruins, who who are officially my team, but I may gift them to Ralph if he keeps being nice, um, is playing at Utah <laughs> because I will mention again, Ralph said they were only going to win one one game. Now he's got to put him in his top five in the Pac-12 power rankings. <laughs> did I say one game or, or or did I say one game per week? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, so. Um, Love the Bruins. Love my Bruins. UC, uh, Utah's favorite in this game by 21 points, Ralph. 21 points. Okay. Can I just say there's no way in hell that Utah is winning by three touchdowns? Are you kidding me? <laughs> there's no way. They are looking at this. They are looking that at reco- this like the Utah like that, the Oregon State game, apparently. Or the or the Arizona State game. Is the over under is it is 
<laughs> is it is it uh, Utah is favored by 21 points with an over under of 24? <laughs> because <laughs> no, the over under is 52. oh my god, that's easy so that money. That <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So that so that's 31 points for them to be yeah. So they're saying that UCLA is going to score like 16 16 points, 15 or 16 points. George, there's no way there's 52 combined points in this game, right? I mean, UCLA's been playing better defense. Uh, UCLA's defense has stepped up. Yeah, but... This feels like a trap. I would definitely... <laughs> which which part of it? The it just feels like guaranteed 21. money. It feels like free candy, like a stranger handing you free candy from a windowless van. Like, of course, I'm going to take this free candy, stranger. Fifty two. <laughs> There's no way fifty two total <laughs> points are scored in this game. There's no way if they're both if they're both just hammering the ball with Joshua Kelly and Zach Moss respectively. I don't see 52 point. That's an that's that would be high for some a lot of NFL games. Right? I mean, just because yeah. oh, this is Pac-12 football yeah. doesn't mean that either one of these teams knows how to score touchdowns against each other. I don't and it's in it, it's in Salt Lake. Am I am I wrong about that? So it's not like going to be a great weather game? Y- yes, the game is in Salt Lake. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, it is going to be It is going to be in Salt Lake. The it's supposed to be fifty five degrees and clear, I believe. So yeah, I don't think so, they're going to so score as many be... points as the temperature. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. I, I I hate telling people what to do with their money, but I mean, empty the kids' college fund and <laughs> throw it on this under, and then sweat it out for a couple hours, and then profit. Dude, I am so scared of 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 unders. I, 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 like if you look at the, the the worst thing I've ever seen in my in my entire life was there was this last week TCU was playing Baylor. The under was forty eight. At the end of regulation, there were seventeen points. Oh, I'm sorry, um, eighteen points scored because. Um, it was nine to six, and then Baylor kicked a fifty-one yard field goal to send it into overtime, and then the over, and then they ended up crushing that forty-eight, and it was only seventeen points scored in regulation. That's probably one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. That is, there's just like a special and, stomach ache that's designated for betting unders. Like it's just, it, it's. It's a it's a feeling that can only be called upon if you bet the under in a basketball game that ends up a free throw mess <laughs> toward the end. Right? <laughs> like, I just I it's 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 definitely the least fun that you can do in gambling is is betting under, but when you hit it, you feel like an absolute genius. And uh, and I, I know I know that people. I, uh, what's that whole saying? Life's too short to bet the under. Um, because you know you actually make your life shorter by betting unders and by giving yourself ulcers. But I, I don't. <laughs> there's two. I don't think there's any way that these two teams get together and score 52 points in a game. You watched ASU Utah. You watched that game, right? Like there is. I don't know. 
Love I don't know. I, I, I feel I better about UCLA's defense in recent weeks. Um, and I just don't think that a banged up Tyler Huntley is going to, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I might put my money well, where my mouth is. All right. All right. So, and, and how are you feeling about those 21 points? It seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous. I mean, why, why can't we all disagree? This is going to be a seven to three Utah win. Ralph, I am <laughs> vehemently against you in this one. I'm I'm taking the over in the game. I think that this is ends up a high scoring affair, probably 35-27. Okay. And, but but there is the caveat that Utah knows that they have to put up a good performance cuz all the committee is watching. The committee is watching Utah. They are watching Oregon. And but yeah, that they need to dominate UCLA. They must dominate UCLA. So I am going to take Utah and for for even though I know the game's gonna end up 27-35, I'm gonna take UCLA. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Utah on the 21 points. I'm gonna lay the 21 points with with Utah because I saw what they did to Arizona State. I saw what they did to Oregon State. I'm going to take it knowing that that I'm an idiot. I am going to take it knowing that Tyler Huntley is probably going to have his best game. Zach Moss is going to go off and their defense is going to like eat Dorian Thompson Robinson alive. So, so there's that. I did see somebody, one of the, (laughs) I saw uh, it. It's always leave it to Utah fans to make things weirdly racial. Uh, but like someone said that we're, we're going to destroy UCLA because Dorian Thompson Robinson is just, uh, is just a thicker Jaden Daniels. And I'm like, well, (laughs) like, let's just, let's just back off of those, those comparisons for, for a moment. I think they're, you know, they're, they're different enough. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson is much more of like a creator from behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and uh, and Jaden Daniels is actually a pocket passer who just is forced to use his athleticism because the offensive line is bad. So um, I, I, I think that Dorian Thompson Robinson will maybe have a little bit of success in just how well he is able to move around, but I still don't think that means his receivers are going to get open. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and Jalen Johnson, all the guys, they are going to be lucky foe to these guys are going to be living in the backfield. Uh, next game up, the Arizona Wildcats travel to Eugene, a game I will be at. Uh, Oregon's favorite by 27 and a half points. The over is 65 and a half, Ralph. Um, Oregon's like when you look at Oregon's stats, it's very, very interesting. Because when you look at their team stats, they do not have a thousand yard rusher. They, um, Justin Herbert has been kind of tame in the fact that even though he's having a really good season, 2,300 yards, 24 touchdowns, two picks, uh, they're leading receiver hasn't played in two games 
the, the, the leading receiver on Oregon's team, except for in touchdowns, has not played. No, no, no actually, it might, might might be three games in terms of yards. Uh, that's Jacob Breland, the, the tight end. Here's how Oregon's receptions go. 26, 31, 39, 13, 13, 14, 12, 13, 8, 11, 9. I mean, they have so many dudes with receptions and touchdowns. That is crazy. They have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11, got, 11 different people have caught touchdown passes, let, let alone rushing. 11 different people have caught touchdown passes. This is a team that is evenly distributed, and it feels more like an LSU, old LSU football team where they um, – where you would have star wide wide receivers like Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, who can't catch for a thousand yards, except for the the receivers aren't that good. Yeah, we. I mean, first of all, if I was a if I was an NFL scout and I saw the way that Justin Herbert was spreading the ball around, I would put that as a tick in the win column for him. I'm trying very, very, very hard to ignore because we we've sort of entered we're, we're halfway through the NFL season right so we know which teams are going to be picking in the top 10 we know which teams are probably going to need a quarterback and so draft twitter is getting louder and louder and I, and I like draft twitter and there's a time and a place for it um in the middle of the college football season it's very distracting and ever since they kept me from enjoying Josh Allen's redshirt junior season at Wyoming. Uh, I've done my best to ignore, you know, what all of these prognosticators say, because if you're just trying to enjoy some Oregon football and you're reading all of the content that's relevant to your team and you're listening to all the content that's relevant to your team. And anytime somebody mentions Justin Herbert is to talk about, you know, how he's going to fail five years from now in the NFL that is extremely distracting. It takes away from the fun of being a college football fan. You're not just sort of allowed to enjoy it in the moment. And this week, it, it just got ratcheted up to 11 with, uh, with people starting to talk about Joe Burrow and Tua versus Justin Herbert. And, I mean, somebody, someone out there had just the absolute dumbest take in the entire world that you have to go with Herbert because he's he's the actual, like, only NFL uh, prototypical size guy. So now we're talking about size again when, you know, Joe Burrow is six foot four, 215 pounds. Uh, and then you had Desmond Howard say that Justin Herbert's not capable of winning a locker room. Um, and it's just like, man, I just want to enjoy college football through the end of the season. And then we can beat this to death and we can start to hate the people that we used to love. Just give us this moment to enjoy college football. And I'm loving what Justin Herbert's doing this year. My favorite thing about Justin Herbert is that uh, you can name his interceptions <laughs> because there's so few of them. I have more children than he has interceptions. It's easier for me to remember which interceptions he threw than it is for me to not mix up my kids and my dog's names. So, you know, I, I love what Herbert's doing this year, and uh, and I think the NFL scouts probably should too. 
But all I see every time I go to read anything about Oregon football, anytime I pull up like the recent news is people wanting to rip Justin Herbert for something he hasn't even done wrong yet for the Cincinnati Bengals in the year 2021. Well, this is kind of what happens with senior quarterbacks, though. I mean, I mean, how many times have we seen senior quarterbacks come back, even ones that are end up very successful in the NFL when they're when they're juniors? Oh, they're they're hot. Everybody loves them. And then when they come back yeah. their senior year, everybody knows they're really good. And everybody's saying, oh, wait, hold up. Let's figure out what's wrong with him. There has to be something wrong with him that we're that we're missing. I mean, just, is the same thing is going to happen. Is same thing's happening to Trevor Lawrence right now. Same thing's going to happen to Trevor Lawrence next year when he's draft eligible. They're going to be trying to figure out what's what's yeah. wrong with him instead of what what's right with him. Like if Joe Burrow were to have another year at LSU, guess what? People would be picking him apart. But 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 he's a new pretty girl running around. The pretty you 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 know he's the uh, new hot girl on on campus. I remember when I was at Oregon. There was a young lady that I ended up dating. And uh, when she first showed up on campus, every single player on the football team was like, yo, there's this new girl on campus. Have you seen her? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, nah, because I didn't have any classes with any of the other football players. And boy, I must have saw her. I waited outside of her class where I knew her class got out for two days because I didn't know which day she had it, whether it was a Monday, Wednesday class or a Tuesday, Thursday class. Waited, saw it, and the rest was history. Um, so that, and that's kind of what's going on with Joe with Joe Burrow. Whole side note, I, I digress. Um, so who do you have in this game, Ralph? Arizona, Oregon. So, I mean, the choice is obvious, right? But – as long as you have the memory of a goldfish, the choice is obvious. Uh, what what happened last year? What was it? What what was it that happened last year that caused Oregon to get blown out by Arizona? Coaching. <laughs> it was it, it, no no. <laughs> Mark Arroyo was horrendous calling plays in that game. He was, and the Oregon d- defense didn't do him any favors either. It was a it was a disaster on both sides of the ball. They made Colin Schooler look like he was Ray Ray Lewis. They made um, <laughs> you know Khalil Tate look like he was Michael Vick. JJ Taylor looked like he was okay. the Michael James. It was a train wreck. And then the wide receivers. I mean, you thought it was. You know, uh, J.J. Stokes and 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 Freddie Mitchell, or or Farmer or Farmer on on the side. It was it was terrible, dude. All right, so how do well, how do I chalk up that result? Do I treat it like an NBA playoff game where like one team wins by thirty because the other team knows that it's a long series? And in the second quarter, when it looked like the tide was turning, they sort of shut it down so they could focus on tomorrow. Or do I treat it like? Last year's results, last year's roster, this year's roster, pretty much the same. Um, uh, and- I think you have to treat it like that because Oregon got absolutely housed by Washington State last year too, absolutely demolished. Yeah. So and but- yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that Braxton Burmeister was quarterbacking at the at the time, but but still, 
it, it that should never happen. I mean, they got I, no, 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 no. He was not. It was it was Herbert in that game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not I think it was, no. It was Herbert because because uh because uh that was that was his what the fuck game where he. Was <laughs> so here's here's what confused me, um, and what continues to confuse me is Kevin Sumlin came out this week and he said whoever has the best week of practice gets to start at quarterback. And I just like I felt like I was gonna have a stroke. <laughs> Dude, he's, he's George, got- this quarterback situation is maddening. It's like he hates them both. <laughs> Dude, are you gonna play? I mean, he needs to choose between Grant Gannell and uh and Khalil Tate. You can't have both because if you play both, you he is angling to get himself fired with this if if he were trying to get himself fired this is exactly what what he would do keep what's he do is he sees chad morris and willie taggart get paid off to not work and he's like hey whoever has the best week of practice like let's let's forget the fact that like that like khalil tate had success against oregon Last year, Oregon's actually the team that figured Khalil Tate out. By the way, when he was in uh, when he was in the middle of his sophomore year and he was tearing it up against everybody, it was Oregon that was able to figure out the defensive scheme to limit his ability to do both. Um, that that set the blueprint for everybody else. And then so Arizona went back last year and they're like, "Oh, you're going to worry about Khalil Tate? Well, we're just going to run the ball down your throat all game long." And uh, and Oregon was so worried about Khalil Tate that all the running backs got off. Um, this year, it's a little bit different because Oregon has no idea what they're going to see at quarterback. Like, are they going to basically face um, Noel Mazzoni's version of the air raid? Or are we going to be back with, with Khalil Tate again, where it's sort of just a guessing game and a chess match? So maybe ultimately it's the smart thing to do, and it's the thing that gives Arizona the best chance to win is by, by keeping – Oregon on their toes, or maybe you end up, and God forbid this happens, maybe you end up with a situation where at the end of the year, both quarterbacks are like, yeah, bye. (laughs) And you have Khalil Tate never rep University of Arizona ever again in anything he ever does, and Grant Gannell move on to some other school where he's going to be able to know what to expect. And while that might sound ridiculous, let's remember that Kyle Allen, the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, and Kyler Murray, the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, both simultaneously walked away from Kevin Sumlin instead of either one seizing the starting job at Texas A&M, knowing the other one was leaving. That's how bad that situation ended up being. And I'm just afraid that we're moving toward maybe that same thing happening. Grant Gannell knows that he's the future, but this coaching staff doesn't seem to know that he's the future. Um they should just play him. They should just play him. I, I just I don't understand why they won't just put him in the game. He is their future. They don't know how to use Khalil Tate. They don't even like Khalil Tate. Why are we still having com- – this is like – I've never watched it, but uh, I see every week on Twitter, like when people are watching The Bachelorette, the producers keep that one character that everybody hates around just to keep people engaged in the show. And and all of the normal people watching The Bachelorette are like, why don't they get rid of this dude? He's a psycho. Like, why don't they get rid of him? It's obvious he's not going to win. And it goes week after week after week until he's in the final three, and then finally it happens. Like, that's how I feel about Arizona's treatment of Khalil Tate. Like, you don't like him. 
You don't know how to use him. It's just causing problems. Why are you flirting with starting him? I, that's, I don't know. I don't know. Start Grant Canal, lose the game, come back next year, try to win. Bro, Kevin Sumlin is trying to get himself fired. I mean, there's no other way. But uh, I like Oregon, obviously, in this game. Oregon's playing at home, too. It's not like they're playing in Arizona where the Arizona crowd is going to get into it. There is no chance that there's a shocker on on the road. Oregon's favored by 27.5 points. They they're probably gonna win by twenty seven and I mean I, I I they're probably gonna cover this too because Arizona's defense just just in case you in case you were wondering how this shakes out Arizona's defense gives up forty twenty well almost forty points a game thirty eight points a game they give up thirty eight and they give up the most yards out of any defense their pass defense is the worst in the Pac twelve the worst. Their rushing defense is ninth in the Pac-12. There is no chance that they don't give up 50 points in this game. It that is going to happen. If 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 they even though that they're coming off a bye, if, if Oregon doesn't score 50 points, Marcus Arroyo, he needs to he need, he would need to go. <laughs> this team is prime and poised. Yeah, they fired uh their Marcel Yates, they were worse. Yeah, this is going to be a disaster. The last game of the week, though, USC at Cal. USC is favored by six and a half points. And to me, they have Chase Garbers back. This is a sucker bet to me, buddy. This is a 100% sucker bet to me. I, I In terms of USC being, being favored, Cal is going to win this game. They proved last week against Washington State that they still had fight in them. They still want to go to a bowl game. They're going to win this game. And this is the one that's going to make them bowl eligible. And then they're going to uh, – and then they're going to – I think they're going to lose to UCLA their last game of the season, but they're going to end up with probably – and then they're going to beat Stanford next week. They're going to end up 7-5 and five, and including this game at with USC coming to town, Ralph. I'm with you. Uh, I just watched USC up close. Um, I, after watching them up close, I I like Keaton Slovis. I always have. I look at that offensive line, and I and I look at their receivers. And this should be. Uh, I don't know if this team is built for the air raid. I think that this should be a, a, a essentially like a pro style power running team that that uses Keaton Slovis's accuracy and the talented receiver to their advantage after establishing the run. I think that's what would give them the most success. But I don't think that they fully understand what it is they are. And if they go there out there and and try to do the hybrid air raid stuff against Cal, they're going to get embarrassed. I mean, Arizona State shut them down for three plus quarters after they had their trouble. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred um, percent. I don't even have much to say about this game. I just think that with, uh, with Chase Garber's back, um, I think that that's going to give a, a huge infusion of confidence to a Cal team that was already playing well enough without him. And, um, and as long as, as long as Cal can establish the run, 
I think that they're gonna probably control this game. This is a this is a really really good defense that doesn't have the same amount of trouble getting to the quarterback that uh, an Arizona State does, and so I don't think you're gonna see Keaton Slovis go crazy. Um, early on in this game and he's a little bit banged up too. It's a long season um, for a, for a true freshman to have to go through like this. He missed some time um, against Arizona state. He got knocked out for a series. So uh, I do like, I do like Cal in this game. I would not be surprised if USC wins because again, talent lined up against talent. If the coaching staffs don't get in the way, then USC should be winning all of these games. Um, but it's not talent versus talent. It really does come down to coaching, and I trust Justin Wilcox and that entire Cal staff a little bit more than what they have going on in USC. Okay, so my other question to you is this, is how about the fact that USC runs the air raid now? They run the air raid. And we saw what they did to an air raid team last week in Washington State. They They completely strangled them. I mean, they just put a... Yeah. Yeah, they just put them in a serious head headlock. And I think even though USC's receivers are way 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 better and their quarterbacks better too. Yeah, this this is going to be a low scoring affair. The under is 48 and a half points, which is 20 points. So le- it's less than UCLA Utah. What the hell? <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm telling you, because because Cal is not going to allow a bu- a bunch of points. They don't get hit over the head with with 95 yard touchdowns like uh, like Arizona State did with uh, who who was that uh, Saint Saint Brown that went nine 95 and the and the oh my god yeah and the DBs yeah. bumped into each other like Mike yeah into triple. Yeah. Over the top into triple coverage, ninety-five yard touchdown. That was it was a thing of beauty. Yeah, he looked like Michael Vick splitting the Vikings uh defenders and they just ran into each other like the bad news bears or the three stooges. Yeah. Yeah. So, so but, you, uh, is the question that you're asking me, would they would would, would they drop the hammer on Clay Helton if if they got handled the way that Washington State got handled? Is that what you're getting at? Dude, look, if USC loses this game, he's getting fired after the game. I don't think I don't think I don't think I think that they should let him finish, because as you pointed out, when we started this podcast, they've got an irregular schedule that has them getting a week off at the end of the season. That would be the right time to do it. Let this staff finish because they because they have UCLA next week. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so just let him can, let him finish. Like, yeah, but if you lose or, to Cal, or lame duck him because didn't didn't Todd Graham coach the game after he was already fired? You've had other coaches coach games after they get fired, so you could you could break the news that you're getting rid of Clay Helton and the whole staff they, on the condition that they get to stay for the UCLA. Dude, they can't uh, lose you, to UCLA. They cannot. You, dude, if they lose to Cal, you have to cut it off because they can't lose to UCLA with their head coach. They they cannot. They can, they can always have that caveat. Oh, we have fired Clay Clay Helton. That's why that's why we lost. Yeah, you can't lose to UCLA next next week. I I don't know. Like Clay Helton's a good dude and I think that he would do what Todd Graham did, which is know that he's going to get fired. Go out there, coach against 
um, University of Arizona, get, win the game, get fired immediately after the game, and then even agree to stay on through the bowl so that they could transition into the Herm Edwards era. I think that I think that you could probably get Clay Helton to agree to something like that. Um, and I, I think that maybe it, it, for college kids, it would be the best thing. If you could say like, hey, Clay, look, we're moving in another direction. It didn't work out, but we want to give you the opportunity to stick around, not only to coach against UCLA, you know, let him know now. If they lose to Cal, let him know and say like, and, and you know, depending on the bowl, if we end up in Las Vegas and it's a pre-Christmas bowl, would you stay on, uh, stay with the team and and possibly end on a positive note? which can go a long way to sort of rehabilitating rehabilitating a coach's image within that alumni base as well as you know prospects for a potential future gig um of course that's not how it worked for todd graham they got wrecked by north carolina state and he hasn't worked since <laughs> but but i think that i think that it's better it's it, it's better to maybe keep everybody together or maybe there's somebody on the staff that you do want to give a shot to to say like oh how would you if you are looking at an internal hire which i don't think they should you know uh, giving somebody the reins for just a week to see how that might look but i don't think there's anybody on this usc staff that would even come within 10 miles of being a candidate oh yeah no i 100 agree though that that usc's coaching search is going to be much harder than people believe that that i mean i know that james franklin may want to come out here that there are some other big name guys but i don't think it's going to be as smooth as people think it's going to be especially if they don't hire urban meyer uh you guys thank you guys for listening to the pac 12 apostles podcast you know we come out every monday and thursday we appreciate your time appreciate your energy peace out have a great game this have great games this weekend enjoy them and don't forget to send us an email i'm mad at unafraidshow.com